Welcome back to Run the List, a medical education podcast for medical students and all learners. Our hosts are Dr. Naveen Kumar, Dr. Walker Red, Dr. Emily Gutowski, and Joyce Sow. As a quick disclaimer, this podcast is meant for informational and educational purposes only and should not be understood as medical advice under any circumstances. Welcome back to Run the List. I'm your host, Walker Red, and we're covering our last clinical hematology oncology episode today on solid oncology emergencies. Our guest today is a dear friend of mine, Dr. Becky Zahn, who grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, and then went to Duke for undergrad and Michigan for medical school, both of which institutions. She is a huge sports fan. She then came back to Boston to train in internal medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital. She's currently a fellow at Dana-Farber Mass General and Brigham Fellowship in Hematology and Oncology, and recently she's been studying venous thromboembolism in COVID-19, but she has a wide range of research, educational, and clinical interest. Some fun facts about Dr. Zahn and what she likes to do in her free time. She is not only an awesome doctor, but she has also been known to showcase her rapping skills with her co-residents. And she really didn't introduce me to, but helped grow my love of Beyonce. And I am happy to say I was able to introduce her to Lizzo. And I know for that, she is very thankful because it's now one of her favorite musical artists. Thank you so much for having me here. And thank you again. I am forever grateful for you introducing me to Lizzo. Love it. That is a shared interest of ours. (laughs) (laughs) So we are going to go ahead and dive into a case today. And so our awesome medical student, Jacob Glowalla, has put together a case for us. And we'll take a little bit of a unique approach today. So Jacob, why don't you go ahead and introduce our case? Thank you, Walker. So while today's main topic will be solid oncology emergencies, there's a number of different subtopics here. So what we'll do is we'll sort of anchor with a single case and then use a few different chief complaints to sort of talk about these different subtopics. So our main patient today is going to be a 72 year old female who has a diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer that has not been responsive to chemotherapy. Today, she presents to the emergency department. Excellent. Thanks, Jacob. So for our listeners, we have talked some about some of the emergencies that can happen in all cancer patients. We have talked some about emergencies that happen in patients with liquid malignancies like leukemia. And now today we're going to talk about solid oncology emergencies. And this is a topic that has very real practical implications for those residents who are practicing in internal medicine and emergency medicine and neurology, surgery, radiation oncology, you name it. If you are a medical student and a resident, you need to know how to think through the first steps for seeing patients who may or may not have an emergency happening due to their solid oncologic diagnosis. So Dr. Zahn, just in a general sense, we love to emphasize frameworks here on Run the List. So what is your framework for how you think about emergencies in in patients with solid oncologic problems? Yeah. So first off, this is a great case. I think that it's really important when considering if there is an oncologic emergency to diagnose quickly and then get the appropriate either medical or procedural or surgical team involved. And so the way that I think about if there is an oncologic emergency in a patient with a solid malignancy is thinking anatomically. And that means kind of thinking from head to toe what you're specifically worried about and what organ could be affected. So, for example, you could consider the brain. Does the patient have focal neurologic deficits, seizures, headaches, or is their family saying that they are altered? 
In terms of the GI, you can think about similar to a small bowel obstruction. Is the patient having nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain because a tumor or a metastasis is pressing on part of the bowel? Other things we commonly see is a biliary obstruction where the patient may present with jaundice or abdominal pain or on laboratory values, LFT abnormalities, including things like elevated bilirubin. So I think it's really important to think about what organ you're worried about and then the manifestations that you may see. And like I said, it's important to diagnose these quickly in order to complete the correct imaging and laboratory values and get your colleagues and consultants involved as quickly as possible. Thank you so much, Dr. Zong. So for our first scenario, this patient will present with severe back pain that's been bothering her most nights over the last few weeks. And especially now, she feels like it's been getting worse over the last few days. Yeah, so this is very important because when you're thinking about back pain, you worry about where a tumor may be. And this may be in this case of this patient with breast cancer, this could be a metastasis. And there are a few areas where metastatic disease can be very concerning. And one of those is the spine. Whenever I'm worried about metastasis or even primary tumors of the spine, I think about what signs and symptoms I may see. And I also talk to the patient. One of the things that's very important is that neurologic signs usually follow pain. So getting a good pain history, has it been changing? And is it more severe or different than normal is very important. Additionally, characterizing the back pain is important, including is the pain worse at night or when laying down? Is there leg weakness or any new focal weakness? Is there loss of sensation in the genital or buttocks area? Other things you may hear are a change in bowel or bladder, which could be both urinary incontinence or retention or fecal incontinence. And it's important to very specifically ask these questions. Additionally, it's important to recognize the prevalence at which these things occur. And over 90% of patients will present with pain who end up having spinal cord compression from metastasis. A high percentage will present with weakness or sensory dysfunction, and then about half with autonomic dysfunction. And it's very important to ask these targeted questions in order to get a good history so that you know what you're looking for. Additionally, it's important to know when the patient's symptoms occurred and how they've changed over time. That's incredibly helpful, Dr. Zahn. Thanks for stepping us through that. And I just want to emphasize again, when you're busy admitting a patient like this, it's so important to ask those targeted questions, as Dr. Zahn said, because it may not be things people bring up right away, especially if it's been a gradual onset and it can be slightly uncomfortable for patients to bring those up. But if you ask targeted questions, then you really can solidify that history part of your initial admission. And so for this patient with the progressive back pain, worse at night, this does make us concerned that there may be a metastatic lesion, and we would be concerned about cord compression, as you were alluding to. And so this is particularly common among patients with lung cancer and prostate cancer, as well as breast cancer and lymphoma, but many different cancers can do it. But I would really remember that two-thirds of the cases really come from patients with lung, breast, or prostate cancer, and the distribution of where these can compress the spine would be most commonly about 60% in the thoracic spine, less commonly about 25% in the lumbar spine, with 15% in the cervix. Spine. So what sort of exam features would be important to look for after we take our history, Dr. Zahn? Yeah, so I think the exam is really important. And like you mentioned, Walker, it's important to do a good neurologic exam in these patients and take the time needed to really figure out what's going on. 
The first and one of the most important things, as one of our professors, Marshall, would say, is to do a digital rectal exam. And this is very important looking for sphincter tone. The only caveat to that is if the patient is neutropenic, then we do not recommend performing a rectal exam. Additionally, testing for loss of sensation in the saddle distribution, doing a really good strength exam, and testing the reflexes are all very important aspects of the neurologic exam in this patient. One other thing, as long as it can be done safely, is to walk or have the patient stand in order to assess their gait stability. But again, you must make sure that this can be done in a careful and safe manner. Excellent. Thanks so much. So Jacob, we double-checked the labs. This patient's not neutropenic. What did we end up finding on her exam? Sure. So the patient confirms that the pain really is worse than night, and she endorses maybe some potential urinary changes, but really no other red flag symptoms. On her exam, she does have reduced rectal tone and has hyperreflexia in the lower extremities. She also has some reduced sensation in the saddle distribution. Excellent. So Dr. Zahn, at this point, our concern is growing, and I know there's immediate steps we need to think about taking. So how do you think about those? Yeah, so I'm also very concerned about this patient. And I think that there are aspects of next steps that are important. The first one is therapeutics. And oftentimes we think about diagnostics and then therapeutics. But in this setting, it's very important to, if you are concerned, which I am in this patient, and you have a good neurologic exam, then you want to act very quickly. So at this point, given the story that I've been told, I would give 10 milligrams of IV dexamethasone to reduce the surrounding inflammation and hopefully prevent any progression in the immediate setting. Additionally, I would obtain full uh, spinal MRI imaging, and many places you can say that you are worried about cord compression, and there is a protocol for that. Additionally, like Walker had said earlier, we often see lesions in the thoracic spine, but actually, around a third of the time, we will actually see lesions at multiple sites, so it's important to obtain the whole spine. If the MRI ends up coming back positive, it's important to involve our spine surgeons and radiation oncology early in order to get a collaborative plan for the patient. And this is something that really can't wait. After administering the 10 milligrams of IV dexamethasone, you should continue 4 milligrams of IV dexamethasone every 6 hours after that. Thank you so much, Dr. Zahn. That was an excellent summary on cord compression. Now let us imagine that the same patient presented with worsening headaches in the morning over the last few weeks. She was brought in today after her visiting nurse found her confused at home. So now, Dr. Zahn, this patient's experiencing worsening mental status. We don't have a lot of specifics, but the headaches in particular over the last few weeks are worrisome. And so how do you generally think about patients who have a solid malignancy and have this, what is a common complaint for many people, a headache, and then maybe even altered mental status too? How would you approach this? Yeah, so I think in terms of the headache, asking what makes it better can be helpful. If it's something that is their typical headache and resolves with Tylenol, I'm less worried. But you're telling me that there's concern that this patient is altered. And so in this setting, I really have to broaden my differential. In this patient with metastatic breast cancer, your differential is different than in a patient who does not have cancer. You still have to consider similar things such as a UTI or electrolyte imbalances, but now my differential is broader. 
The morning headaches are concerning for a potential mass, and this is thought to be due to increased intracranial pressure from reclining for multiple hours. And so again, the neurologic exam is incredibly important, and this is both to assess where a metastatic lesion may be compressing, but also to think about stroke in patients with cancer given their hypercoagulability. When you're thinking about increased intracranial pressure, you want to look for hypertension, bradycardia, and altered breathing patterns in terms of assessing the vitals. And finally, as a part of the neurologic exam, it's important to look at the eyes and to see if they are symmetric and they react similarly with light. It's very important to consider all of these differential aspects when thinking about this patient coming in. Additionally, with increased intracranial pressure, you can sometimes see nausea or vomiting that's different from the patient's normal and maybe not even responding to medications. In cases where you're worried, you often can get a CT of the head more quickly, but ultimately it may be important to obtain an MRI of the brain. Great. Thanks for taking us through that approach. So unfortunately, this patient gets a CT head while they're in the ED and they're found to have evidence of metastasis to the brain. So as a quick review, unfortunately, this is relatively common in patients with metastatic disease. It actually happens in 10 to 30% of patients with metastatic cancer and most commonly in patients with lung and then breast cancer, but similar to cord compression, it can happen with almost all malignancies. The symptoms are really things that can be common and headache is the most common. That that occurs about half of patients. And then about a third of patients may have focal neurodeficits or cognitive problems with only about 20% having new seizures. And so that's why the approach that Dr. Zahn stepped through of having that really thoughtful way to distinguish the common headache from the one that's more worrisome is so important in triaging these patients. And so what would your first steps in management look like for these patients? Yeah, so I think that anytime you're worried that there's increased pressure in the head and that it's due to a metastasis or a primary brain malignancy, we worry about the risk of seizures. So it's important to start seizure prophylaxis, typically with levetiracetam. And additionally, if there's any edema around the sites of metastasis, it's important to start dexamethasone. And normally we recommend four milligrams IV every six hours to help reduce some of that surrounding edema and hopefully not push on any other parts of the brain. Additionally, it is important to involve our radiation oncology and or neurosurgical colleagues in order to determine next steps and any potential interventions. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking us through your approach to these really important and serious problems that our patients can sometimes face. So what I'm going to do now is just kind of step through some of the pearls that I want our listeners to take away and to summarize. So I think one of the things that you were able to clarify for us is just taking the framework of thinking anatomically and moving from head to toe and thinking about this patient who has metastatic cancer, what may be worrisome about this complaint and then using your same history and physical exam skills to reason your way through what is more or less worrisome. As a second pearl, I am definitely going to take away that we often have to move to treatment quickly. So in the case of someone who on their history and physical exam do have signs of cord compression, go ahead and make sure that that patient has gotten their proper dose of dexamethasone before waiting for them to go to MRI and getting the MRI read back. 
Third, I think it's really important from a practical standpoint to reach out and at least make consulting teams like some of our surgical and procedural teams aware of these patients early. That way they can be ready to review the imaging and intervene in what is oftentimes a very time-sensitive emergency. So thank you so much, Jacob, for preparing this excellent episode for us. And thank you so much, Becky, for joining us today. This has been a real privilege to learn from you. Thanks so much. So thank you so much for tuning in today. And we hope that you have learned as much about solid onc emergencies as Jacob and I have. And please continue to tune in to run the list. Thanks so much. If you like this episode and want to continue learning with us, please subscribe and consider leaving us a rating and review to let us know how we're doing. Also, be sure to check out our weekly handouts and tutorial summaries on our website and our Twitter for helpful graphics and space repetition of episode content. See you next time.